0: Amen. Well, good morning and happy Easter as per tradition. You can repeat after me. He is risen. He is risen That's good. That's good. You're awake. You're ready. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor, and we've said it a couple times in our service already. We say it every week but we are really glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And we really mean that. And as a church and as a church staff and as elders, uh, we want you to know that um, we care about you and we want to connect with you and we want to help you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you need someone to talk to or someone to pray with. Maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need some wisdom or some advice, whatever it is you need. We would love to walk next to you as you get to know God and you get to know us here at Mount Calvary, Uh, but we are thankful that we get to be together that we get to worship and celebrate. What a set of songs, what a truth that we get to proclaim, and I hope you are encouraged uh, already this morning. I was reading the New York Times this week from my computer, and when you read it on your computer, there's a way to click a a section title, and it'll gather all the articles from that topic into one place. And so the section that I saw to click was titled Easter and Holy Week. Now, I know the New York Times, so I, I have tempered expectations here, but I was curious. I mean, it is Holy Week of all weeks. I was curious what articles would be compiled from the last couple of months from the New York Times on Easter and Holy Week. Well, you probably can guess, uh, pretty disappointing. Uh, There was one article, very boldly titled, this is an opinion piece, it was an interview with the the guy who plays Jesus in the show, The Chosen, but outside of that, let me read you some of the headlines that were in in this section. Pope Francis, back from the hospital, thanks crowds for their prayers. Second was Bob Bourne, who brought Marshmallow Peeps to the masses, dies at 98. I mean, that's not, I mean, yeah, Marshmallow Peeps, I don't know. And my favorite, Thief steals nearly 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs in Britain. I mean, that's impressive. Like, I don't know how you do that. So I was intrigued. It wasn't what I was looking for. But I was interested nonetheless, and so I clicked on the article, a 32-year-old 32 32 year man from Birmingham broke into a factory, backed up his trailer, and, and put all, for hours, filled this trailer with these overrated creamy eggs, <laughs> filled to the brim, no offense, they're, I mean, they're not that good, but okay, $37,000 worth of these Cadbury cream eggs, and the police figured out what was going on, and once they caught the guy, they posted it on their Twitter, West Mercer Police Have Helped Saved Easter. And they're funny. It was funny. It's funny to read. But as I thought about that tweet, and I thought about some of these other headlines, I thought, man, this is the problem. Helped Saved Easter? I mean, Easter is so much more than fluffy marshmallow bunnies and so much more than Cadbury cream eggs. And and we get together here on Easter Sunday, and we're here to do much more than to think about tulips and family pictures and egg hunts, but we're here to celebrate and to proclaim and to remind each other about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're here for. And you've probably been to many a service on an Easter Sunday, you know, as I was thinking about how can I preach this morning in a way that reminds us of why we're here. And so as a pastor, there's really two options when you're preaching an Easter sermon. Uh, One of those sermons is to prove or to give the evidence on the historicity of the resurrection. I've given this sermon before just a couple years ago giving the evidence to show that it's a historical event that has life-changing implications still today. And as you can probably tell, that's not the sermon I'm gonna give today. But instead, I'm gonna give the other type of the, ser- of the Easter sermons. Why does it matter? Why does Easter Sunday and what we remember on Easter Sunday matter infinitely more than Easter candy and Easter eggs? And so this morning, I wanna think that through. What kind of impact? Why does it matter? Why should we celebrate the truth of what Easter really means? And so to do that, I want to read first Peter 1, three through nine, and then we'll pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we pray, God, that you would speak to our minds and to our hearts. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. God, you know our doubts and our struggles and our mistakes and our insecurities. God, you know the hardness of our heart. God, you know the good things about us, our giftedness. And God, we pray that in all of this knowledge, in all of the grace and the mercy that you have for us, God, that you would would come and that you would speak to us, that you would compel us, that we would leave this place this morning changed because of what the resurrection represents, the truth that it is. So, God, we pray, help us. Help us to hear, change our hearts, change our minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we think through this passage this morning, what I want us to do is I kind of break it down. I'll put the outline on the screen. I want us to see the celebration. That's going to be verse 3, the first sentence, so 3A. I want to consider the celebration, which is the rest of the passage. 3B, after that first sentence, all the way through verse 9. And then the last It's not in the passage. This is going to be our response at the end of the service. I want us to see the celebration. I want to consider why on earth is Peter celebrating? And then I want you to be so convinced of the need to celebrate that we join with Peter and billions of Christians around the world this morning singing the celebration for ourselves. So he begins with a celebration. This is the first part of the verse the first part of this letter from Peter to these exile churches typically we just we just zoom on past this first line but Peter begins in worship blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ what a beautiful powerful way for peter to start this letter He just celebrates all that God is. I mean, this is just a powerful theological one-liner. I mean, it is full of theological truth that just changes your perspective and your life. God the Father, you know me, God the Father. If he's God the Father, he made me. He cares about me. If you're God the Father, then you love me. But it's not just God the Father, It is our Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. I bless you because Jesus, you are Lord, you are fully God. And you are fully supreme and majestic and above everyone and everything. And Jesus, if you are Lord, that means you are no longer dead. You are resurrected. And so Peter is worshiping God with these people in this letter by giving us this theological truth of who God is. But this first sentence, this celebration is so much more than just rattling off theology. This isn't just, this isn't a theology book. This is, this is worship, it's music, it's poetry. He says, blessed be God the Father. Blessed, now that's a kind of a weird way of saying it, or it sounds a little weird to us at first, like we are blessing God. Typically, you bless someone, you're blessed. Now maybe we don't talk as much like this, When you bless someone, they have a need and you're asking that God would bless them and give them that need. So are we saying, is Peter saying, when we say, blessed be God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, that God needs some extra blessing from us? Well, no, that's not what we're saying. Peter is instead saying, I recognize your perfect blessedness. I have nothing to add to this, God. I simply Humbly recognize you are inexhaustible. Your grace and your mercy cannot be measured. And so Peter is humbly coming before God saying, I worship and I recognize and I I magnify your name. You are blessed. Psalm 104.1 gives us a picture of this kind of blessing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. This is what Peter is doing. But this isn't theology. I just said that. It's not theology. This is music. I mean, this is coming from an experience of Peter. He's not just restating the facts. He is responding to the grace, saying, I feel this. This is joy-induced from Peter, and so This is my prayer for you and for me. As a pastor, I have given my career and my life to do anything and everything that I can to show you that this this right here on the screen should be the one-liner of your entire life. That this is what I pray for my kids, that they would be able to say from their hearts and not just their mouths, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just understanding the theology, but believing the truth that he is truly blessed and inexhaustible. That they feel it from their hearts. And that's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you, is that you would leave church today and genuinely be able to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He is blessed and I worship and bow down before him. And it's my prayer for my neighbors, for my enemies, for people I know and don't know. And so this is how Peter begins. Verse 3a. And what he's going to do after this, he's going to spend the rest of this first part of 1 Peter 1 trying to convince you that there is no other worthy response. He's gonna give you the reasons why this is an appropriate an appropriate way to worship and to acknowledge God. And so he's gonna rattle off these reasons on why this should be your response. And so that's what he does. I'll summarize the responses or summarize verses three through nine with this statement. God has given us Confidence in the future and power in the present because of the resurrection in the past. Therefore, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's doing. God has given us confidence in the future, power in the present, all because of the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, we bless the name of our Lord God. And so let's look at this passage, at the reasons, and really consider the reasons that as we understand the reasons, we would sing with Peter as we close. So first, he says, God's given us confidence in the future. It's really the way Peter says it. You've been born again to a living hope. That's the confidence in the future. God has given you a living hope. Well, it's kind of a a weird, I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a Strange way of describing hope. We typically don't put an adjective like living on hope, and it causes you to say, well, what what is our living hope? What is it? Well, you look at the passage, the clues of the text, verse three, it's through the resurrection of Jesus. So it doesn't appear that Jesus is himself the living hope. Instead, he is the means by which we get the living hope, verse. Three. verse 4 seems to tell us what the hope is. It is to an inheritance that is imperished, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. So the living hope is something, an inheritance, as Peter describes it, that's in heaven and waiting for us. And it'll be something that we inherit after we die. And I just was thinking about that this week, this is, so, this is not how we typically talk about inheritance. Typically, you don't get an inheritance when you die, right? You follow me? You give an inheritance to someone. My, my wife texted me just this week and said that we had an appointment with a lawyer to do a living will and a power of attorney. I was like, oh, okay. Are, we, are you expecting something? Like, what's happening here? She said, no, we need to do this. I said, okay, that's okay. So if I were to meet with the lawyer, I think it's in a couple of weeks, and I were to say to the lawyer, "Well, I mean, I have nothing, first of all, that, that valuable. I have children, dogs, I have a green egg. I don't know what else there is to talk about. But if I told the lawyer next week when we meet that after I die, I would like to will my big green egg to myself, that I'd like to take it, he would look at me and say, we've got other problems here, Matt. That's not how inheritance works. You don't get an inheritance when you die. But this is what Peter is saying, that after your life is over, that's when you get the inheritance. What is this inheritance? Well, he told us it's this future, inexhaustible, guarded life with Jesus forever in heaven. That seems to be what Peter is saying. This seems to be the reason that we can celebrate this future hope that we have a secure time that we will have with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. And that we can have confidence in this, confidence. And I was just thinking, I mean, it's basic. This is basic. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus that we will be with him forever Yet, as basic as it is, do you fully recognize how valuable it is to have hope? I mean, we could not live this life without hope. I mean, life is just too hard. Without hope, how do you weather the pain of life? The hardship of life, the loss of life, the challenges of life without hope. How do you weather all of the storms that life throws at you without hope? It is, it is next to near impossible to get through all of the things that we face. Yet, in the resurrection of Christ, we have hope. And listen, we, we live in a world with a hope problem, a hopeless culture. A hopeless world. I was talking to a, a local teacher in one of our public schools, and he was sharing how the administration shared with them some statistics that the CDC had had um, shared the last couple of years about the health of our young people. It's a long PDF, and it is depressing. So don't go find it and read it because it's discouraging. But all these statistics from our young people, and the one statistic that really just stands out or pops off the page was dealing with mental health. And here's the statistic from this from this study. It said 42% of American high school students said they ex- that they experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. 42%. And and what is how would you define that? Here's how they defined it. of American high school students felt so sad or so hopeless almost every day for at least two weeks that they stopped doing their usual activities. 42% said, we we can't get out of bed. What, What do we have to live for? I mean, this is nearly double from the last time they did this study 10 years ago. And I think what you see is you look through the study, mental health is not good. In in every state, across all demographics, all all states, all ages, genders, mental health is not doing well. And so people are trying to explain these numbers. Well, why are they so bad? You look through the the study, the CDC study. Drunk drinking is down. Um, Risky behaviors are down. Bullying is down. And so you have these questions being asked, well, why why is mental health so bad if these other numbers are so much lower than they used to be? Well, as people try to explain it, we have social media. I mean, people are cruel. You have this online mob of cruel people, cruel friends, cruel peers. They see injustice in the world every day. People try to... Explain why this is happening. Well, look at the injustice. Look at the political turmoil. How, how can we face tomorrow? How can we have future when things are so bad today? And so we, we start to try to understand, why is this happening? But then we go back to Peter. The people Peter were writing to, uh, it, obviously it's different what, what they were facing, but it's not altogether different. Okay, the, the churches that Peter was writing, they didn't have, obviously, social media. They didn't have an online mob. They had an actual mob of people. They had actual physical cruelty. They had the Roman emperor Nero, who started a fire so that he could have something to blame the Christians for, so that he could have an excuse, a reason to gruesomely torture Christians. And this is what these churches that Peter is writing to is facing, not an online mob, but a real mob. And he was writing to people who lived in the throes of political instability, political turmoil. I mean, Nero was insane. So this is is the context that Peter is writing to. But what does Peter say to them? Have hope. You can still have hope. You should have joy and rejoice. How can Peter say this? How can Peter say this? How can our teens have hope? How can Peter tell us rejoice? Because he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus face the cruelty of the mob. I mean, they shouted over and over, crucify him, crucify him. They stripped him and they beat him and they put him on the cross. Peter saw Jesus faced face an unjust political system. Caiaphas and Herod. I mean, the false accusations, the false charges. Peter saw Jesus get crushed by the same things that his people were facing. And he's saying, how can I say have hope? How can I say rejoice? Because I saw Jesus. He was crushed for the same, th- same things that are crushing you. And he was put up on that cross, and he died, and he was buried in the earth. But three days later, Jesus didn't stay dead. That he triumphed over all that was put on him at the cross. That despair, because of Jesus' resurrection, that he faced what you face. And because despair was not the last word. Darkness wasn't the last word. That we can have hope too. Yes, this world is bad, but God did something decisive about it to give us a sliver of light to say, just Keep going. Jesus resurrected, and you can too. Put your hope in him. And so we see this future hope that we can have in Christ. But listen, it's not just the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just about some future event that's going to happen when we get to heaven. Peter seems to make it a very present-day reality. And so he also talks about the power that you and I and these churches can have today because of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so what kind of power is he talking about? Look again at verse 6 and 7. He says, "...in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found." to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, it's not just a future hope, but in the resurrection of Jesus, you have a power today to endure anything with deep-rooted joy. You can endure it. You can face it. The, The analogy that he uses is fire and gold. That gold goes into the fire and everything that's impure, the dross, and everything that's not, not pure with the gold gets burned up and taken away. And he said, this is, how, this is how your life is, that there are fires, various kinds of fires. Don't you love that? Actually, we don't love that. We don't love that. You don't get just one fire, like chocolate or vanilla. You get various flavors of fires in your life. Job loss and money fires, family fires, Kids struggle with your kids or your health or your marriage or persecution or whatever. We get all kinds of flavors of fires. But what is Peter saying? He's saying, just just hang on. Just even for a little while, rejoice today. He's not saying you have a living hope and when you get there, then you can rejoice. But until then, you're going to be miserable. No, he's saying, actually, the power that you have today is you can rejoice. You can endure. How? How? Because you know, I like the little phrase, even for a little while. Just a little while. And you know what that little while is? This is depressing, I warn you. It's your life. A little while is not like a week. That'd be great. He's saying, no, no. It may be a lot of the time of your life, but it is a little while in comparison to eternity. You may struggle. You may feel feel burned to the crisp. You may be... feel completely broken down, but listen, because Jesus was resurrected, you can endure it. I'm giving you the power today to rejoice as you face struggle. Let me just give you one example of how this looks at another place in scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 11, 32, 38. I'll put it on the screen, but I think this is a really good tangible example of the power that we can have today because Jesus was resurrected. So this is a pretty famous passage, the Hall of Faith. You know, we love this chapter, or at least we love the first 35 verses of this chapter. And we get to the end, and the writer, he's so excited. I mean, he's, he's like, I have to wrap this up. I could keep going and going and going. But this is how he closes this, this chapter. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, that's quite the list of awesome things that people did in the power of the resurrection. But things are about to change in the passage. So I warn you, there's a dramatic shift in the tone of the passage. Verse 35, women received back their debt by the resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in the caves of the earth. So I think I'd like to be part of the first part of the list instead of the second part. I don't know how you do that. But that's the one I want to be a part of. What's what's happening here? I mean, we can, we go back through the, the whole chapter. I mean, you can identify the people with what action they did in the faith of the resurrected Jesus. So it's pretty easy to identify who's who's doing what. Okay, we've got David, we can't have a Sunday without David, making a showing here, mighty in war, administering justice, conquering kingdoms. We've got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then you've got a reference to, to women who received back their dead by resurrection. And if you know your Old Testament, that happened twice. So the widow of Zarephath the Shunami, and the Shunammite woman, both with Elijah and Elisha, and again, we, that's the part of the story we like. I mean, that's the encouraging Easter sermon. Faith to do all these awesome things. Okay, but then the tone changes. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection, but some were tortured. Most actually think this is talking about women. Some women were also tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Well, who who is that referring to? You know, we can identify everyone in the chapter, but you get to this part of the verse and you're like, if you're thinking the way that he has unveiled these different people and what they're doing, you're asking, who is he talking about here? Who were the women who were tortured, who refused to accept release that they might rise again to a better life? Well, most actually think, It's not someone from the Old Testament. Most commentators and historians think he's actually referring to someone from the intertestamental time. So the 400 years after the last prophet, before the coming of Christ, we have all this history about the people of God. And there's one story that is recorded of a mother and her seven sons. And so this is how the story goes with the mother and the seven sons. The the ruler at the time was Antiochus Epiphanes, Okay, if you thought Nero was bad, okay, th- this, this guy was brutal to the point that I-, I do not feel comfortable reading the grotesque nature of what he did to Christians. But There was a mother and her seven sons, and the way the story is told, he brought this mother and her seven sons in front of all the people, and he went one by one to the, each of the sons, and he said to them, will you disobey the law of God? Will you show loyalty to me, your king? And if they said no, what he would do was, was, was awful, torture in front of all the brothers and the mother. But according to the history of the story here, here's what the mother says to her sons. Before these questions were asked, she says, it was not I who gave you life and breath. It was the creator of the world who devised the origin of all things and who will, in his mercy, give life and breath back to you again since you now forget yourselves for his sake. And so every one of her seven sons died that day. And most think this is who the author's referring to. You got the example of the sons who were resurrected and you have the ones who were tortured who weren't resurrected how can a mother say these words how is it possible well i'll tell you how she had a living hope in a resurrected jesus that gave her power in that moment to endure anything the worst possible thing and if you if you look at hebrews 11 this is what hebrews 11 tells us her perspective about the resurrection allowed her to endure this moment. Look at verse 35 again, that last phrase. Are you with me? We're wrapping it up. The last phrase, so that they might rise again to a better life. Wow. I have never seen that. This is the means by which she could go through the torturing because she knew. Yeah, that's great, widow Zarephath. That's great, Shunammite woman. I get a better resurrection. Theirs was just a resuscitation. Like they came back to life. That's great. They still had to live life. They still had disease and pain and and problems. What she's saying, what this perspective is saying, no, no, I get something better than those other women because my resurrection for my boys is for eternal life. Wow, what... A faith. What a power. And listen, if she can have the power through the resurrection to face this, I don't care what you're facing. God is powerful enough to help you endure whatever it is. This is the resurrection power that we have through Jesus. Whatever it is, we can get through it. We can get through it. You can get through it. I heard a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King titled On Easter Morning, called Questions That Easter Answers from 1957. And here was, was his, some of his sermon. He said, There's another question that we like to raise it's the question of whether life is doomed to futility and frustration. Some people feel that life is nothing more than a pendulum swinging between frustration and futility, and ultimately, it has no meaning. But then Easter comes to us and tells us that this isn't true, and one can discover meaning in this life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that all of the disappointments of life can be transformed into meaningful experiences. But you know, every now and then, my friends, I doubt. Every now and then, I get disturbed by myself. Every now and then, I become bewildered about this thing. I begin to despair every now and then, and I wonder Why it is that the forces of evil seem to reign supreme and the forces of goodness seem to be trampled over. But then, in the midst of that, something else comes to me. And I can hear something saying, King, you're stopping on Good Friday. Don't you know that Easter is coming? Don't worry about this thing. You're just in the midst of the transition now. You're just in the midst of Good Friday now. But I want you to know, King, Easter is coming. One day, truth will rise up and reign supreme. One day, justice will rise up. One day, all of the children of God will be able to stand up on the third day and cry, hallelujah, hallelujah, because it's resurrection day. And when I hear, when I hear that, I don't despair. I can cry out and sing with new meaning. This is the meaning of Easter. And for us this morning, as we contemplate the impact of the resurrection for us right now today we have a living hope that can never be taken away no matter how hopeless or how much despair jesus came out of that grave so that we can too and we can have power resurrection power to endure whatever life throws at us and here's what dr martin luther king is saying it's reason to worship That's reason to worship. If you understand the benefits of the resurrection, it's reason to sing. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, join me in singing. Blessed be the God of of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And so for us, as we have now contemplated and considered the power of the resurrection, the reasons to celebrate God, now we are going to sing. And we're not gonna sing the exact words that Peter tells us or shows us that he sings, but we're gonna close with other words of praise. And so let's pray as we, as we end. Father, we thank you. We are hopeless and we are in despair. And some of us are feeling that even now this morning. But we're thankful for today that today's not about Easter eggs or bunnies or tulips or Whatever. God, it is a reminder, it is a reminder that in you and in your son's resurrection, we have a living hope. And we have power to face anything through Jesus. God, that's a message we need to cling to. So God, I pray that as we consider the reasons to celebrate, God, that you would touch our hearts with that truth. That it wouldn't just be just pedantic words that we're just so used to saying. But God, this morning, as we realize the beauty of all that you are for us in your son and all that we have because of your son, God, that we would have no choice but to just praise you and sing, you, sing to you. And so God, we, we thank you that you came for us, that you sent your son. And he went to the cross and he went into the grave and into the ground but he was resurrected. And we rejoice in that truth and the truth that impacts us still today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.